Well, thank you for coming. Thanks for having me. Appreciate you. I appreciate you like trusting me to come out. We we've known each other for a little bit now. Yes, sir. But we haven't like hung out that much. Yeah. So I have a lot of questions for because I'm so curious about what it is that you do. So if you had to say what it is that you do, how would you describe it? Um, the short answer is um, I'm a record business executive. Um, I'm in the hip hop space. I have uh, one of the top streaming artists in music right now. And uh, from an executive management standpoint, I'm involved in everything in his career and the record label that we have from A to Z. Do you, are we not going to name drop the artists or? Uh, yeah, we can. Um, the the artist that I'm associated with, or one of my, he's my partner. His name is A Boogie with the hoodie. Um, his real name is Artist. Um, and we have a record label with my partners, QP and Bubba. QP is my uh, blood brother and Bubba, they all kind of grew up together. So, you know, we have... Uh, have a record label, record business, with a boogie being uh, the biggest artist on the imprint. Do you have multiple artists, or yes? Who else do you? Um, another act we have his name is Don Q. We have an act named Booba Savage. It's an act named Anissa. Um, Trap Manny. Uh, there's a few. So it's my understanding because I did a quick background on you. Right, because I'm curious to know you, and um, as I'm preparing for um, this conversation, I'm doing a little bit of research online. Mm -hmm. And you are you were born and raised in New York, is that right? Or, yes, sir. But your background is from Ghana. Yes, which is awesome because one of my closest friends in high school actually was from Ghana. His name was Kweku. That's a very Ghana Ghanaian. name, I believe. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah. So I remember Kweku. Um, he was a really good friend of mine, and I and. It's when you think of yourself, do you consider yourself like black or African American? Um, and is I, there a difference? That's like a weird term I would, these days. I would I consider myself both. Mm. You know, if there's a distinction, right? Um, black man, obviously. Um, African American, obviously, in the in the traditional sense of just a black American and in a more literal sense that my parents were born and raised in Africa and they immigrated to America. So I'm essentially like a first generation immigrant to this country, even though I was born here. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I, I identify with all of the above because I was born and raised in the Bronx, New York, and I didn't go to Ghana until I was maybe like seven or eight years old for the first time. And then I came back to New York, and then I lived there when I was like nine or ten. So I did the fourth grade in Ghana. Mm. So you know, I understand. I speak the language. Um, I eat the food. You know, I, I still have friends there. Um, so I'm I'm in tune with my my roots, my African roots, but I'm also a New Yorker. Yeah. So it's you know very diverse. I I was in that sense that you know. I identify as a New Yorker through and through, but I'm also African. Because I've had a lot of people on here, and I've always found it that 
people that came from almost immigrant families end up doing end up being very successful. The way that they work and the work ethic is a little bit different. What, what do you think about that? I think um, in many ways that's true. For, for all intents and purposes, there are a lot of people that immigrate here and become successful because they have a relentless work ethic. There's some people that immigrate here and aren't successful. You don't really see that mm -hmm. because they're not successful. But I think I think that's true for not just Africans, but you know, Asian Americans, mm -hmm. Irish American. I mean, you know, for the most part, this this country is built on immigrants, mm -hmm. right? So I think um, my opinion is, in order to to actually make it from wherever country you come from, you kind of have to be a sharp person, right? It's not easy to book, to make it to America with all the immigration laws and stuff like that. It's not easy to make actually make it here. So going through whatever struggle is you have to go through to make it to America, and then when you make it here to kind of like lollygag and play around, it's kind of counterintuitive. So I think those folks that actually make it as immigrants to this country they they realize the opportunity and you know they don't they don't take it for granted because i mean i speak at home i speak korean with my parents mm -hmm. mostly i mean they speak english uh, but i speak a lot of korean at home and with my wife i speak a lot of korean and with my daughter i speak a lot of korean mm -hmm. and it's difficult because trying to kind of weigh like your cultural heritage and where you're from versus trying to kind of adapt and get fully immersed into like American society. Mm -hmm. It's like a really weird gap that a lot of people don't understand. But, you know, first, second generation immigrants kind of have a better feeling of how sure. do you gauge your culture from what American culture is, which is very different because Ghana culture is extremely different yeah. than U.S. culture. Yeah, I think... Um it's just it's all about adaptation, right? And you know, if you're in America, you have to adapt to what's going on around in your surrounding. We're all products of our environment, right? So, I think um, if you're in America, it's imperative for you to adapt to how American society operates. Um, if you're going to be in Korea or wherever your your origin is, you have to adapt. If you're going to spend time there, you should adapt. You know, as it comes to, as it pertains to children and stuff like that, you know, you can speak Korean or whatever your origin language is to them, but the experience isn't going to be authentic until they actually spend some time there. And I think for me, you know, in my formative years, spending time in Africa, in Ghana, shaped a lot of who I am today. So I think, you know, if you're an immigrant, you have a child that was born here, I, I think it's imperative that you send them back home for some time to spend. I, I agree. I mean, my daughter is, you, you just met her. She's very young. Yep. And um, we intend on sending her back maybe every year or every other year mm -hmm. for a month at a time or something like that, just because I want her to understand, number one, how the world works. Yep. Um, get a feeling of, number one, appreciate what you have here. Mm -hmm. Because regardless of how well something is in another country, it's better here. Yep. <laughs> and, and I think I 
come to terms with that every time I leave this country. Every time yep. I leave the country, I'm like, America's the best. 100%. <laughs> and people here who don't travel internationally or just go to a resort internationally never understand that. They don't see that. 100%. You know, I have such an appreciation for this country and all the opportunities that there that are here. It's just, you know, it's not perfect. There's some there's some things here that, you know, we wish could be better. Of course. But I think you could do a whole lot worse. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think people sometimes realize, you yeah. know, like how amazing freedom is. Yes. You know? Yes. So you grew up in Bronx and you went... So I, I did a little research and you actually went through school and you got your MBA. You were not originally in the hip hop world. No, no. So w what were you originally studying? Um, let's, I want to talk about before hip hop. So um, in high school, you know, think back to the late nineties when, you know, you had AOL, you had dial up internet. <laughs> um, Napster. Napster, all of that <laughs> stuff. I had a, my mom, my parents bought a computer, a desktop computer in the house, and we had dial up. So I was, I got sucked into internet very early. Mm. Um, I was maybe like 10th, 11th, this is like 97, 98, 99. And um, I realized early on that I wanted to do something in tech. Mm. So I went to school um, and I, I declared, I started doing a computer science degree. And it was going pretty good. I took a couple Java classes, a couple C classes, and then when I got to calculus, <laughs> <laughs> it weeded me out, man. It got yeah. me out of there. So I remember um, I, was, uh, I was on a bus one day with a classmate, and she, uh, she was telling me about a major called management information systems. Mm. And it was in tech, but you know, the calculus requirement wasn't as stringent as, you know, for computer science. So I started doing some research. You know, I don't even remember that girl's name. She changed my life with that conversation. <laughs> um you know Shout I, out to you, whoever yeah. you are in the world. <laughs> um so I started doing some research and then I ended up applying for management information systems degree and I declared for that and then I since I, I spent five years in undergrad I added finance to it as well and the combination of the two was a powerful tool for me to go to jump into the workforce so you know I um I got those I got that I got my BS in business with the concentrations in MIS and finance and I had some family members that were living in Chicago at the time and the plan was to, the plan was never to go back to New York City because mm. I lived in a, you know, for all intents and purposes, a bad neighborhood. Um, and I didn't want to go back to that environment. So the plan was to move to Chicago. And they ended up moving to uh, Herndon, Virginia, which is right outside of D.C. It's, it's not too far from Dallas Airport. Mm. And for those that are from the D.C. area, there's a there's a there's a, a a highway called the Dulles Toll Road, and along that highway there's a bunch of corporate offices. Mm. Like as you're going, like like a nine ten mile stretch, you see AOL, you see Verizon, you see this company that company. So when I went to visit them, 
in my last year in undergrad, I was on this road going to their house and I saw all these buildings and I said, okay, is a job here for me. Mm. So I immediately went to careerbuildermonster.com and I updated my resume and I put on my resume their address. So I, it looked like I was a local candidate. Mm. And my freaking inbox just, <laughs> you know, they, they started they started reaching out and um, I ended up grabbing my first job out of undergrad was with uh, Raytheon, which is a defense contractor. Mm. And I was doing some reporting and analytics for them. And then from there, I started working for a company called HealthNet, which was a, which is like a a health insurance provider, not provider, but forget the exact term, but they do they do health insurance for uh, the armed forces. So um, I did some analytics and database stuff there, and then I transitioned from there to USA Today, and I spent about eight years there. Wow. So I was at USA Today in a parent company, Gannett, and I did analytics there. Um, you know, I went there like in 08, right before the economy went to, you know, and at the time it, were, it was transitioning from print newspapers to digital. And, you know, that business was kind of going down, going down, and they were transitioning to having websites and stuff like that, and I built a lot of the the analytics platforms, because now it wasn't about actually buying a newspaper. It was about the, the the ad revenue that you can make on the website. And maybe that's the moment that media in the world changed. Yep. <laughs> you know, it went from printing news and headlines to how do we maximize ad dollars and clicks. Correct. It just happened like overnight, huh? Correct. Yep. Because, I mean, you know... You got to find a way to make the money, right? <laughs> Always. Is is the, the whole business kind of flipped on its head. So, um, and, you know, I work closely with some of the people in upper management, you know, running reports and doing analytics for them that, you know, I learned a lot about that world, which end up, um, which ends up uh, uh, educating me on how, how to do things in music now because Google and, a lot of those players in that space are are in the music space. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I had another stop at a at a, a, a nonprofit company. Then I, my last stop was with Discovery Communications, and I was working there for about a year and a half. And then I transitioned completely into music. So you did a lot of corporate America. About a de decade and change. Yep. Fuck, that's a long time. Yeah. <laughs> Do you ever regret um, spending your time there? Do you feel like you wasted time? Did you learn a lot? I mean, what is your overall feel on your ten years of corporate America? Because I mean, you're talking like Raytheon. I mean, this is like yeah. as as it gets. Yeah, I think um, I'm real religious, right? So I think uh, God's timing is 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 the perfect timing, right? So a lot of my experience that I've had in those different positions have lends itself to helping me deal with some of the things that I deal with on a day-to-day -day in my current endeavor, right? So I don't regret it. I mean, you know, obviously if I knew what I knew then, what I know now, <laughs> you know, I'd probably be further along, right? But 
who's to say that I would get that information, that knowledge, had I not gone through some of those experiences. So then, how did you end up in hip hop? Because you were, it's a weird jump. It's an odd jump. Right? Yeah, so, from working for Raytheon and USA Today to running a record label. So, um, again, is I think uh, I think it's uh, God had a plan because um, I always knew that I was going to be wealthy, so to speak. I was not going to live an average life. Mm. So, you know, I didn't know. I just didn't know how I was going to get there. But, you know, I have a lot of wealthy friends. I had a lot of friends that were in music. And, you know, I made a decent living in corporate America. Like, you know. I mean, those are big jobs. You probably made, made good some, money. I made some really, I was successful. You know, I, I, you know, I didn't really want for anything when I was doing, when I was in those positions. Um, the, 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 the way the music thing happened, I had some friends in music and, you know, on the weekend, we travel. We like I had a friend that was a, he was an agent, so he booked shows, um, and uh, we 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 I he do a show, we go to the show. So just being around, being exposed to it, you just start picking up things. And uh, you know, shout out to Jay Class. He's uh he used to manage Cardi B early mm-hmm. on in her career. So I was around and just just picking up things, just not even asking questions, just picking up things, just by being in the room. And, um, you know, around the same time, my younger brother and his one of his best friends, Bubba, they decided to start a record label around a, a guy named Artis mm. who ended up becoming a boogie. And, you know, they started to kind of anytime they anytime he needed something, he'd call me and I'd call Jay. Like if they needed a lawyer, I, they'd call me. I'd call Jay. Jay'd give me the lawyer. They'd do the contract whatever. And then I kind of just, that's how I started. And I kind of just got sucked into it. And then there was a point where, you know, they needed somebody to come in on the management side for Boogie. And I said, I'd do it because I didn't really <laughs> trust anybody else to come in and, you know, yeah. cause you know, at the time these guys were young, they were like, at the time Boogie was like maybe 18, 19 years old. And my brother was maybe like 23, 24. They were young. They didn't really have, you know, all the. They were smart, but you know, I as a as an older brother, I didn't want anyone to take advantage of them. Mm. So, I just stepped in, and then it kind of just went. It just kind of just grew from there. That's crazy. Yeah, just literally walked into it by being around it. I mean, you know, in business in general, I think if you're if you're walking in the right circles. You know, if you're there's a saying, if you if you hang around four billionaires, you'll be the fifth. Hmm. Right. So if you're if you're in a room with people that are doing something positive, it's only a matter of time before you kind of become become that. You know, we're all a product of our of our environment. Yeah. Right. So. So you did, I mean, how much thought went into it before or how much struggle did you have being OK? Like I have this really cush job and going to almost a brand new artist at that time. He wasn't really big yet. He was he was He was trending. I mean was wh- trending. where was he? He was trending at the time. He was really he was a big deal in New York City. What year was this? This was 2016. Okay. So, you know, I again I was in I was involved from the very beginning, you know, 
my brother used to tell me about it and I used to just be like, yo, just be careful, you know. I didn't want to, because, you know, remember, I had spent about 10 years in, in the D.C. area and he's in New York. So, you know, when I left to go to college, he was like six or seven years old. <laughs> so when I come back, when I decide to move back to New York and I'm around him, he's a grown man. You know what I'm saying? So we had to refigure out how our relationship was going to mm -hmm. be, you know? So I didn't want to be over heavy handed with him. I'm like, yo, man, just do your thing. Just be careful. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, whatever you need, just call me. And, um, you know, for me, it wasn't a no brainer because I had, I had reached a point in corporate where I wanted to kind of work for myself. I started a consulting company and, you know, I, f I found that it was difficult to get clients, even though I had this, you know, as a as an employee, I worked for some of the biggest companies in the, in the world, Fortune mm -hmm. 500 companies. But that didn't necessarily translate to grabbing clients to, to kind of provide those services, those same services for myself, right? So I was already of the mindset that, okay, you know, I'm not going to do this forever because to go back, you know, the reason why I left Gannett USA Today, um, I had got my master's, my MBA, and I'm thinking I'm about to get a promotion mm. and get bumped up. And, you know, once I come through with my degree, it's like, all right, let's talk, let's sit down. And <laughs> it was, I wasn't getting anywhere. It so doesn't work that way, does at it? Oh, uh -uh. so I said, ah, I'm not doing this. Like, you know, so then I started moving different job and each job I would change I'd negotiate you know 20 30 percent mm -hmm. raise in the income so that that was that was cool but and you know the way I had my stuff set up was you know in analytics you know once you set everything up it kind of runs automatically so my first month or two on the job I'd learn what I needed to learn set everything up then it's on autopilot I sat in the office all day I didn't do anything uh -huh. so I had time to I had time to you know work on music or work on other endeavors. So I was, you know, I was already transitioning into that, right? Without even realizing it. Correct. So, um, you know, when when the opportunity presented itself, you know, I did it for free. I, I didn't even want no money because I still had a job. So I was just like, you know, let's just do it. Let's see where it goes. You know, worst case scenario, I fall back into my cushy corporate job. Even now, I, like if I wanted to go back and work, I could do. I have the resume. I could yeah. go do it. So it's just like, all right, you know, I know, um, being in that position, you know, the 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 network that opens up to you is priceless. You know, there's some people that I that I can call that I can talk to that I never imagined I would be able to talk to them whenever I felt like calling them, you know what I'm saying? And and outside of the money and outside of everything else, I think that's the most valuable piece of being in this in the entertainment business, you know. Network. The network. So when you joined in on the team, I mean, what's it like? Because you have your younger brother mm -hmm. and all of a sudden you're sitting there, you're giving your two cents and they were calling you asking for advice, but now you're like a part of it. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's different, right? It, it, and it's hard working with family. It can be, but I'm I'm an easygoing guy, right? I, you know, I and I I don't have much pride when it comes to certain things. I, you know, those guys are in charge. I take direction from them. I can give my I can give my my input 
But I ultimately take direction from them because they built it, you know, and I was, although I had, I had some influence, that's their thing, right? So for me, it was just adding value wherever, wherever, like filling gaps. That's what, that's what it was about. And, you know, you know, the artist is the artist, you know, it's my, you know, my brother and Bubba, they, 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 they're in the studio. They're like, you know, the, the business aspect, even though my brother does a lot of it, we do it together. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, he wants to be in the studio. Like he wants to be with the artists. So a lot of the business stuff, I would have those conversations. He'd loop me in with people and I have the conversations and, you know, I would deal with a lot of that stuff. And it happened over time. When we first started, he was like, you know, now he does, he we have so much trust between each other. He don't even. I try to grab him like, yo, let's talk to this person. He be like, yo, you handle that. Like, you know <laughs> what I'm saying? And you know, it's a like any relationship, you have to build trust. Mm. So you know, we built trust amongst each other, and we kind of just fill in. Every, everybody kind of fills in whatever role that they have, you know. And that so for me, it was easy. You know, it wasn't necessarily a difficult thing because. I wasn't trying to come in and do what they already were doing. I was just trying to come in and fill in whatever gaps that whatever slippage that might be there. Do you feel like when you're out with them, do you still feel like you're the older brother? Yeah. Um, you know, I, you know when when we're out, you know, I they they're all my brothers, mm-hmm. right? So when we're out, you know, God forbid if anything happens, I'm the oldest, right? So, you know, my mom, if something happens to my brother, my mom is going to, I'm the first person she's calling. If something happens to, to Boogie, his mom's calling me. Calling you. Same thing with Bubba. So it's like I I, I carry that responsibility, mm-hmm. right? So And I take it seriously mm-hmm. because outside of everything, you know, hip-hop can be a dangerous yeah. industry. So... You know, it's important that everybody, not just the artists and people in management or executive team, anybody who's with us makes it home because I don't want to have that conversation with anyone's anyone's family. You know what I'm saying? Completely understood. Something that I noticed that I'm just curious about, you said a boogie's name was originally artist. His real name, his parents named him artist. That's crazy. Man. They knew. They knew. how how do parents know? I don't know, man. You, you know, like when that's I, a when I first met his mom, I uh-huh. said, "Man, Miss her name, I don't want to say her name, but I said, you named that boy right." Yeah. You know, the man's name is Artist. Like he's an artist. You know, it's just again, I'm very religious and I think um God has a plan for everyone. And if you trust and if you're faithful, you know, you can you'll you'll reach whatever destiny he might have for you. So then what triggered the name to change? Like, how did that happen? Oh, I mean... Because, I mean, I think the most the most commonplace people would run into a Biggie's music right now is TikTok. He's uh-huh. everywhere. <laughs> you can't open your TikTok without his, one of his uh, songs on yep, it, right? Yep. Um, what happened? How did he change his name? So... There's a movie called Paid in Full, which is based in Harlem. It's based on on the life and times of some young Harlem guys that um, they were in the drug business in the late 80s, early 90s. And um, there's a scene in the movie where 
one of the characters, his name is Ace, I think. And um, someone else in the movie was like, hey, Boogie. Like, you know, he just, mm. he kind of took that and did a play on words and called himself Hey Boogie with the hoodie. Mm. And it's just, it's been his name. I think at some point, you know, if you follow his career, you know, like his first mixtape was called Artist. Mm. And then the first album was called The Bigger Artist. So there's always a play on his real name mm -hmm. in the music. And there's just like a duality between A Boogie and Artist. So I think um, at some point he'll, he'll transition to just Artist. But for right now, he's, he's A Boogie with the hoodie. Because it was A Boogie with the hoodie. And then when I hear people refer to him, people refer to him as A Boogie. Yep. So slowly dropping one thing at a yep. time and yep. then maybe just artist afterwards. Yep. yep. Interesting. So you just got back from tour with the whole crew. Yep. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about well, all the artists, your your family, like your brothers, yep. and everybody. Yep. Yep. How many cities you guys hit? We did we did seventeen shows across the United States and Canada. And um, we were on a bus, so we stopped like Whoa. We stopped like uh probably twenty something cities. So you guys all get into one bus, multiple buses? So we had we had three buses. Mm. Yeah, nice buses, bunks and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um and we were just rolling, man. We started in Denver. We started yep, we we started in Denver, we flew to Denver, and then we had a show in Iowa. So, you know, if you look, if you know geography, Denver's <laughs> further west than Iowa. So we flew to Denver, then flew to Iowa. And then from Iowa, we flew to Oakland. Mm -hmm. And when, when we got to Oakland, that's where the buses picked us up. And we rolled on the bus for the rest of the run. What is that like? I mean, how many guys were on those buses? So we had about... How deep were you guys rolling? 20-something people. twenty twenty five, twenty eight, 28, something like that. And how many weeks were you on the road? About four or five weeks. What is it like rolling with the same 25 guys for like Man. over a month? That's got to get hectic. It's got to get stank. Well, <laughs> right? I mean, you know. Right we, a bunch of guys <laughs> in three buses. <laughs> we're, everybody's pretty, we're adamant about showering, right? So, you know, yeah, you have to hold each other accountable yeah, to that. Yeah, <laughs> man. Every, every, because like, you know, the bus driver can only drive like eight or like, there's a mileage and a time limit, right? Mm. So we have to stop every, so like pretty much every day we have to stop. And when we stop, we get some hotel rooms and everybody needs to go shower, do their thing. And then, you know, while a bus driver sleep. So we be on the bus, get off the bus. First thing, go brush your teeth, go do what you got to do, take a shower. Then we get the day started. So, you know, that's how it was. I mean, and, you know, we're all family, right? So it wasn't really much... There's no conflict or anything like that on the bus. Like everybody's, we're happy to see each other. We don't have no, there's no bad vibes. So I got a really good group. So, um, you know, get to the city. If it's a show day, you know, my production guys, they go to the venue first thing in the morning, do what they need to do. You know, the artist does what he needs to do, gets himself ready for the show. I do what I need to do. We do the show, get on the bus, Roll to the next city. If it's an off day, we'll stop, lounge, hang out. You know, they'll go shoot, do bowling or play basketball or whatever. Shower, get back on the bus, roll to the next city. Um, that's how it was for about a four or five weeks. 
People assume that life on tour would be super glamorous. No. <laughs> Is it not? No. <laughs> you know, like when I envision what people would think life on tour would be, it's a lot of partying. Um, it's a lot of late nights. Um, that's what I would think people would think. That's what I would think mm-hmm. it is. What is it really like? So, you know, you have shows, you have you have parties and stuff like that, but it's a grind, man, the travel. Like, you know, you hear people that say they love traveling. No. <laughs> it's not the same type of travel. <laughs> you like, you know, actual traveling and moving is hard. Like, especially if, like, you know, early flights, you know, you know, you stay up, you know, you have a show, then an after party, then you go back to the room, get yourself together, pack your bag. Now you're on a bus. The bus got to roll. Like, I didn't, I was sleep deprived, man. I couldn't sleep. And when I did get sleep, you know, I'm up all night and my phone starts ringing first thing in the morning, 8, 9 a.m. So it's just, you know, it's a grind, you know. It's not it's not the easiest thing to do. Now, don't get me wrong, there's some you have some great nights, there's some great cities, but then some some cities aren't. There's mu- not much going on. We are the party when mm-hmm. we roll into that city, right? So um, you know, that's just uh you know, you have you have some of that, and then you also have things that people don't see. It's really it could get boring, it could get mundane, you know. You have all of that. It's a little bit of everything. So with 20, 25 guys, three bosses, getting moving can't be easy. No, it's like herding cats, man. Who's in charge of getting everyone moving? And it's like, I'm leaving you motherfucker behind. (laughs) Like, who's doing that? So we have, I have a road manager, Mm -hmm. I have tour manager. You know, they're, they're responsible for the crew, like the production guys. You know, at the end of the day, you know, it's a job to be done, Mm -hmm. right? So they the guys know that they're pretty responsible. Like they know they're getting paid to be on the road. So if you say the bus is rolling at this time, and if you're not on that bus, you're gonna get left, and you gotta find your way to the next city or be or get replaced. Have you ever left anybody? Not on the not on the production side, uh-huh. but on the artist crew side, I have. Really, you know, I think for me, you know, if the artist is ready to go and you're not ready to go, mm-hmm. you in danger again left. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Unless you're like a, you know, even me. Mm-hmm. If he's ready to roll and I'm not there, they're leaving you. They have to leave me. You really? know what I'm saying. So I think you have to hold yourself accountable. You know, I've left a couple of people in a couple of. They were mad at me, but I mean, I can't, I can't imagine. How do they? Do they have to just rent a car? Uh, um, you rent a get car, a get a flight. You know, you <laughs> just to, figure it out. Figure it out because you know. Do you ever I, go back? To pick someone up? Absolutely not. Not on the bus. (laughs) Because, you know, the bus driver has, the the route is set. Mm. And, you know, it costs money to kind of turn around. And no, you just got to find your way to the next city. Just, we have to replace you. What's the, what's your favorite city that during this tour, what was the best city that you guys went? It's uh, New York City. Mm. Um, I saw you guys at Barclays. Yep. And it was packed. Yep. Lit. Yep, yep. New York City is home, you know mm. what I'm saying, um, and we don't we don't play that market as often as you think. So you know to be able to play that market in front of friends and family, business partners, associates, and to to feel the love from the city, you know, is priceless. You know that that was a uh, that as a team we've been working on 
doing a headline arena play in New York City for some years mm -hmm. now. It would have happened probably in 2020 had COVID not hit. Mm -hmm. But, you know, because of COVID, it kind of threw a monkey wrench and everything, and we were able to do it this year. And it's just, it's a, it's a huge accomplishment for us because, and, you know, he, he's done arenas in other cities, but there's no place like doing it in New York. You know? So we mentioned quickly, but TikTok. A boogie is on TikTok a lot. Mm -hmm. I heard, and I don't know if this is true. Uh, maybe you can correct me. I heard that every time someone uses your music clip, in a TikTok or a reel, it counts as a download. Is that right? The economics of TikTok is still, it's still, um, and this is bad, it's still unclear to me because, not because I haven't tried to figure it out, but it changes. Hmm. YouTube, Spotify, Apple Music, all the DSPs, which are digital service providers, TikTok, the rules change constantly. So, you know, it's important to it's it's it, it's important to kind of keep up with it, but it's also difficult when you have a million other things that you you're dealing with. I do know that there's a there's there's some there's some an exchange of funds whenever um a user uses your your music on TikTok. I do know that. How much or what exactly it is, I'm unclear because the rules are constantly changing. And you know, as you know, TikTok is not a U.S. company. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a, it's, it's I think it's Chinese. Chinese company. So, um, you know that that also gets in there too because it's not it's not a U.S. company. So I'm not sure what the rules are. Uh, but I do know that there is an, there is some some commerce happening anytime someone plays your music on TikTok. I mean, how difficult it is because you know artists and you guys as a label make money in multiple ways. You make money touring. You make money on the downloads. You make money on selling albums. Although people don't buy albums as much mm -hmm. anymore, where do you think most of the money is coming from? Whew. It depends on what side of the table you sit on. Um, I think the major record label, by and large, get their money from the digital service provider and the exploitation of the copyright. Mm. Um, because you know most 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 record deals that you're going to enter into, unless you're you co you're coming in with a huge amount of leverage, the record label is going to own the copyright. They're going to own the master of that. Of that, uh, of the recording, and they're they've they're experts at the exploitation of that master recording. So on the record, the major record label side, you know, the lion's share of their f revenue comes from the exploitation of new and old master recordings. Because you are your own label. Yes. So you don't have to service the major labels. No, we do. So um, the way it's structured, we're production. Harbors the label is a what's called a production company. It's a record mm -hmm. label production company. But then we have partners. We're partnered with Atlantic Records. Mm -hmm. And Atlantic they run your distribution. Correct. They run distribution, marketing. They they have a they have a heavy lift because they can. Their business is scalable. Like mm -hmm. you know, um, so. I think um, 
you know, well, not I think, we have a partnership with them. And, you know, they have their role, we have our role in it. And to date, we've been very successful. Because, I mean, you, you used that word exploitation, right? Yeah. And you used it multiple times. Yep. Can you, like, help unpack that a little bit? I mean, what do so, you mean by that? So. Because that's almost what Kanye was saying, right? That they were being, that the rec major record labels and major producers were taking advantage of the artists. Um, I feel like that's one of the main things he was talking about. I mean, he had his kind of other rant stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's kind of where he started almost. Yeah, I, I think I think everyone has a point of view. And, um, you know, depending on where you sit at the table, you're going to have your point of view of things. Uh, you know, I think ultimately, you know, the so to answer your first question, exploitation, you know, DSPs, the digital service providers, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Music, et cetera, Amazon, they pay the record labels so that the your music or the the music that they own can live on a on a uh, on on their platform. Mm -hmm. For a long time, Jay Z's album was Jay Z's albums weren't on, or some of his albums weren't on Apple Music. Hmm. They lived on Tidal because that's his platform. Hmm. You know, they recently uh, De La Soul, which is an older hip hop group, mm -hmm. they just made their music available on DSPs, right? Because they were in a, I, I don't I don't want to misspeak, but if I, I want to say they were in a contract dispute with their record label. And they, they didn't make it available, so the record label couldn't exploit or couldn't mm -hmm. make money off of off of those 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 master recordings by putting them on the DSPs. So the DSPs pay the record labels, and when that money comes in, the based on your agreement with that record label, some of that money flows down to you know the production company and or the artist. Mm. Right, you said and or and or the artist. So like, sometimes the artist is signed directly to the production company, and you know the production company furnishes their services to the major record label. So the major record label pays the production company, and the production company pays the artist. Sometimes you could furnish the the services of the artist, but then. The major record label accounts directly to the artist and pays the artist directly, and then whatever, whatever uh, portion of the funds that the production company is uh, is due goes directly to the production, so that the accounting is cleaner, and then mm -hmm. no artist can say, "Oh, you're robbing me" or whatever. Like you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So it all depends on your agreement. No, no, each agreement is different. So, you know. That for the for all intents and purposes, that's how they exploit the master. Like even on the radio, you know, radio, TV, there's commerce happening, and they'll, they'll like if you're signed to a major record label, they know how to collect those funds. They get that funds that goes in the pot, and the, based on how your record deal is is structured with them, you know, the percentages will flow down to all the parties. Right. Do you feel like the accounting when they pay you is clean? I because mean, that's you have so many different revenue streams, right? Money coming from literally everywhere. Put it to you like this. 
you know, they send statements. However, like, again, based on your deal, they could send a statement every mm -hmm. month, every three months, every six months, every year. Um, I think it's best practice to audit your record label mm -hmm. every now and again because, you know, not to say that it's malicious, but it's easy to miss to miscount something. Correct. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, it's important to to keep that practice because you never know. You might find a million dollars somewhere. Somebody might have fat fingered something mm -hmm. somewhere. You know, you might find it. You you might not. You might find ten thousand. It's still your money. You know what I'm saying? Based on the agreement. So I think, I think it's uh, it's 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 best practice to audit them. To answer your Kanye question, um, and how he felt the, that you know record labels are taking advantage of artists, you know I'll, I'll echo what I said earlier. It depends on where you sit. You know record labels. You know, you take a major record label, at any given time, they might have 100 artists. Mm. And out of those 100 artists, maybe like six are profitable. They're losing money on 94% of the, yeah. the artists. So the, the successful artists subsidize the unsuccessful mm. artists. So the profit margin, if you're, if you're successful, is going to be larger because they have to take shots on smaller acts. In order to, you know, to, to find the one that makes it, to make, to find the one that makes it. Now the problem is, you know, it's like a loan. If you, if when you sign a record deal and they give you an advance, which is an advance against whatever royalty you have negotiated, they give you that advance. The way the way they structure it, you have to sell a lot of records to recoup that advance. And if you if you show that you're able to recoup that, they'll keep advancing you. And you know you're 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 dealing with young artists typically. They have no they have no real understanding of business, and then they have you know they may have lawyers and different people around them that are more concerned with themselves than the long term financial benefit of the act. So you know you run into certain issues when you're when you're negotiating, but the the the, the long and short of it is, you know, depending on how you structure your deal, um, you know, you think of it like uh, in, 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 in professional sports. Your rookie deal is going to be low. When you prove yourself, then you could get a max contract if you're a max player. And that's, that's kind of how it is. The problem is, you know, your, your rookie deal can be long and your shelf life as an artist might be within that rookie deal mm. like you know a lot of people don't make it to that next that next deal and then you know they feel a way about it or you might you might make it to the next deal and take a large advance then it's it's almost impossible to recoup that advance and now you're stuck in that deal so i think in kanye's and you know i don't want to talk out of turn but i think that's might might have been what happened with kanye he he got to his next deal he took a large advance and then he hasn't been able to recoup it, and now the record label, I think Universal, you know, they didn't want to let him go or whatever. He wants to go and do his own thing. Mm -hmm. So, I'm not a proponent. I don't want to say like I'm pro record label or pro pro artist. I just think it's a business and it's about leverage. And depending on how you structure your deal, depending on how much leverage you have coming into the deal, is going to dictate. How much money you're gonna you're gonna make? You know, there's a there's a there's a 
there's a uh, conversation about being independent versus being signed to a major record label. You know, I think, you know, if you if you if you're a good business person and you know how to scale your business and you know how to hire the different people to run the different departments and you have the funds to do that to be able to scale your business, then more power to you. But most young acts they're not gonna have that. They're not gonna have the wherewithal to do that. So, you know, you go to the record label, they provide a service, and then they have those relationships, you know, that can help scale your business. And and you know, you could become a cele- your celebrity will grow exponentially, and then you can leverage that to make money, right? Whereas if you focus solely on the the royalty and what's made off of the record and the, the master recording, you may not. You may not. You may be leaving some on the table as far as building up your celebrity and leveraging that to make money. So again, like there's no, there's no one way to do it. You have to ask yourself what's your what's your what's your mission, what you're trying to accomplish, and then strategically back into that mission. So if you could, because you're many years into this now, yep. and you have a lot of experience, yep. you have you've had time to reflect on decisions that you guys have made. Yep. If you could go back. Would you guys go independent or would you stay the route that you did? I'd stay the route. It's just their route. Having the comfort. It's not even about comfort. I just think um, those record labels are powerful, man. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like for instance, like, you know, they have the power to, to, to scale your business that, you know, an independent act, as an independent act, at least in my, from what I've seen, you can't do it. Like for, so let me give you an example. Drake is still signed to a major label. Mm. And Drake is the biggest artist in music, right? Mm. I, I I think we can agree there, right? And he has money. He's a billionaire. Drake can go and theoretically he can go independent. Why is he why is he still signed to a major mm. record label? Right? Mm-hmm. There's a reason. Because the value proposition that they offer, you can't get it anywhere else. And I think a lot of people miss, they miss, they miss, they miss that, that important piece. It's just, you know, being able to negotiate it and leverage it in a way where you're okay with your portion of whatever the agreement is. That's the key. I think, um, you know, that man is the biggest. If anybody could go independent, he could. Mm. But he's still signed to a major. That should tell you something. You know, people get caught up in owning a hundred percent of nothing, mm. as opposed to owning ten percent or fifty, fifteen percent or fifty percent of something that's very valuable. You know? That's an interesting thought because, you know, obviously I've been working on this podcast, and I've I always think, you know, like how do I make it grow? What's the best way to leverage it? What's the best way to market it? Uh, because really. Just like music, right? It's like a streaming service. You're getting more eyeballs. More eyeballs is better. And part of me is like, well, I want to do it completely on my own, be independent, um, you know, do what I want to do at all times. And then there's the idea that, well, you can join groups or other podcasters or other networks of people. You know, on YouTube, there's like um, networks, right, that you join mm-hmm. and you cross-promote each other. Mm-hmm. But you have to give up a little bit to do it. Mm-hmm. And obviously this pocket isn't big yet, but I hope that we would. Um, and then there's going to come that time where you make that decision. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm interested. Well, I guess that's why I'm really interested to hear your thoughts on that matter. 
I think generally in business, right? Again, I'll go back to I'll go back to religion or just the belief in God. I think in the Bible there's a saying that when two people come together for a common goal, God joins them, mm. right? You know, then you have the other you have you have the other saying that if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Mm. I think those are all uh, those are all important concepts to grasp in knowing that you know when you're making your decisions on who to partner up with. Now everybody's not honest. You might pick the wrong partner, you'd be screwed. Mm. But you know, I don't think partnership is the is a bad thing. I think if you have leverage. If you're coming into the partnership with leverage and if you're coming into the partnership with something of value and you can negotiate, you can negotiate something that you feel good about. Like like most negotiations, a good negotiation, both parties are going to be a little annoyed with each other at the end. If it's a good negotiation. A good deal. Both parties leave a little bit unhappy. Correct. So I think, you know, but, you know, when you take a step back, if, the, if it's a larger pie, you know, you'll probably make you'll probably make more money or you'll probably gain more from that larger pie than you would owning 100% of a smaller pie. And, you know, that's how I see business in general. Mm -hmm. You know, I think, you know, partnership is something that, if done right, can be a powerful tool. You know what I'm saying? How how often do they, does the major label have you collaborate with someone else? How much of that is them and how much is it, like, I want to work with this guy? Uh, like how much say do they actually have in what you guys do? So again, that's all. Um, it's all based on what you have in your agreement, right? In our agreement, we have a hundred percent creative control. Hmm. You know, they can suggest things, but the artist decides what he wants to do and when. Um, you obviously want to be good partners and. If they suggest certain things, you want to really look at it and, and, and see if it's something that could, because, you know, if they feel like you're good partners, then they can promote, you know, they they feel like they have a dog in a race mm. and they'll promote you and they'll push it aggressively. Whereas if they feel like you're not being a good partner, you know, they might just, they might just sandbag it. You know what I'm saying? So I think, you know, to answer your question, on our, in our situation, we have 100% creative control. But, you know, if they have a suggestion or if they want us to do something, you know, that's something that most of the time we'll do it. But we, we take it seriously, like, okay, let's see how this benefits what we're trying to accomplish, right? And, you know, generally, the, the, the record label, the artists, we all are aligned in what the goal is. So for the most part, there isn't going to be something where they suggest that doesn't really, you know, they won't really, mm. you know, we won't really do because we all want the same things. It's just how you go about that may differ a little bit. but So not everyone gets that deal where they have full control, creative control. I mean, you know, I don't want to say 100%, but most artists have. And I don't think, I don't think... Uh, the record label want to come in and be heavy-handed and tell an artist what they can and can't do is mm. their art. But, you know, they definitely have suggestions and, you know, they definitely want you to try certain things. Um, and it depends on your comfort level. They can't force you to do it, though. 
I don't think so. When, when you guys get ready to uh, produce an album, how much of it is just art and how much of it is you have to think about the business aspect of it? Like, how do you balance the two? Because sometimes art is not what's most popular. And sometimes if you do only business, then people are like, oh, these guys are just kind of selling out. So how do you balance that? So, you know, in my experience, the artists that we deal with, we just let them go in and create. And then when it's time to collect the music and hone down, because, you know, we might be picking from 100 different records. Hmm. And then, you know, we'll all sit down as a group. The artist will kind of pick what he wants, and then we'll all sit down and, you know, we'll pick, like, all right, we should do this, we should do that. And again, we're all aligned, so most of the time there really, there's really little to no conflict on that. And we always give the artist final say. You know, the artist always has a final say on what they want to do, but, you know, you have a collection of songs, and you pick what you think is going to make them. Because at the end of the day, no artist wants wants to be unsuccessful, you know, commercially. If they if they tell you that, they're lying. Hmm. You know, you want to be acknowledged for your art. You want to be successful. So, you know, they're not going to just put something out there for themselves. Because if that's the case, they could make an album and listen to it for themselves hmm. in the house. If you're going to release it commercially, you know, you want to make sure it's successful. And you have a team of people around you that's going to help ensure that. So, you know. Is there a song that you guys thought that this is not going to do all that blew up? Yes. Which one? I have a, my, me personally is Mm. a song called Secrets. It's on TikTok. Mm. I'm sure you've heard that record. You know, when he made the song, you know, there's no drums on that song. It's just a loop. Mm. I'm like, bro, I'm telling him, I'm telling him to do something. I'm like, bro, where's the drums? And like, yo, he's looking at me. He's like, yo, trust me, I got it. I'm looking yeah. at him. I'm like, I, you know, I have to pick my battles, right? Yeah, so, yeah. you know, we all have to pick our battles. So he's like, trust me, man, just trust me. I'm like, all right. Put the song out. He shoots a video. And, you know, the song does okay. And then sometime last year, it just caught on TikTok. Uh-huh. Now the song is on its way to platinum. Crazy. It's like, bro, I, I tell them all the time, like, dude, I did not understand that song. It didn't make sense to me. But you were right. Like, mm. you know what I'm saying? And and I think you have to give an artist space to create. Mm. You know what I'm saying? I didn't understand that song. Yeah. I'd be the first to admit. I wish we could play it. I think we get, which is crazy. I got you here, but I don't think we can play the song. Because <laughs> we, yeah. we get copyrighted yeah. on it. <laughs> that song has no, it has no drums in it. It's just a loop. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the lyrics are poignant, but it went crazy on TikTok, and now, you know, it's a record. You know what I mean? So you never know, man. Like, some records, you could just feel it, mm-hmm. and it comes out, it does nothing. <laughs> yeah, what's one song that you guys thought would be like, oh, this is gonna, this is the one, and then it just doesn't do as successfully as he thought it would? Uh, he has a record with 50 Cent. Uh, it's called Yeah, Yeah. 50 Cent and my other artist, Don Q, mm-hmm. that I was sure was going to be a missile. Because it got 50 on it. it just 50, the way the <laughs> song sounds, uh-huh. when it came out, it just, it's okay. Really? What, what, what's it called again? It's called Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. Hey, let's, uh, I'm going to go look, listen to that one later. I thought it was going to go, and it, uh-huh. you know, it did okay, but you, know, you never know with this thing. You don't know what people are going to gravitate toward, you know what I'm saying? 
And that's a microcosm of the record business. You know, the record, the larger record labels, they got to take shots on a bunch of different artists. You don't know who's going to, mm-hmm. who's going to connect. And, you know, in order to stay in business, you have to, you know, take those chances. It could be expensive. So then when you do hit, you got to make your that money back and some profit in order to stay in the business. There's only three major record labels left. You know what I'm saying? You got Universal, you got Sony, and you got Warner. They were more than that in the 90s, but mm. they all defunct now because one reason or another. So from a le- record label perspective, you know, I can understand some of the practices, you know what I mean? But I do think that, you know, the artists, certain artists should get more funds. Like when an artist proves themselves, we should be able to go back and redo the deals. And they do. But, you know, sometimes, you know, it's all about how you structure it, though, man. I think I think deal structure and how much money you take up front versus how much money, you know, you, you leave on the back end, you know, that's going to determine, you know, how happy you're going to be. Because you might take $20 million up front, blow it through it, and then now in year three or four of the deal, you're unhappy. But, bro, where's the 20, where's the $20 million? Like, you know Spend what I'm saying? It. Yeah, so, you know. Because people don't return that money. Absolutely not. Once that money hits the account, it's gone. It's you gone. Forget about it. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's just all about deal structure and leverage and making sure you have the right people negotiating on your behalf. I think we're probably right around the same age. Mm. Um, I graduated high school in 2000. Same here. Okay. So you remember when you'd go out in New York and the, the kids would hit you up with their mixtapes. Yep. They'd be standing at the bus, at the train stops, everywhere, yep. handing them out. Um, they got to maybe playing in the background yep. and they would pull them out of the cars and they would do them to you. I don't think they do that anymore. Nope. It's all online. Yep. So if you're a new artist and you're listening to this, and you want to get a deal, if you feel like you deserve one, but you're not getting the eyes, what would your advice to them be? It's, uh, you know, there's a saying, right? I hate to be so cliche, but if you build it, they'll come. Just build it, man. Get your team, you know, build your buzz, build your, build your, build your online presence, build up your streams. You know, when your streams get to a certain level, it shows up on analytics on all of these record labels. Hmm. Just build it. You build it to a certain level, they will be beating your door down trying to get you to sign with them. You know, you don't have to. If you is if it's just with anything, if you go chasing someone, you become less attractive. You make them chase you. So just build it. You know, and listen to your fans. They're gonna tell you what they what they like and what they don't like. So if you build it, they'll come. Right now, um, there's a lot of ways for an artist to build, right? You have YouTube, you have TikTok, um, SoundCloud, things like this. They track all of it? Everything. So once you hit certain numbers, they're like, okay, hey, there's a guy he's doing. It looks like they're doing over a million downloads now. Um, let's let's send someone out there to go check him out in person. Yep. And then they'll find maybe where you're performing or you're doing a show and they'll... Nope. Easier than that. They'll DM you on Instagram. That's it? Or they'll send an email to your booking email. They don't even go check you out. They used to physically go and find out where you're recording or find out where you're performing. Send a guy, a scout almost, would sit in the background, take some notes, send it back to headquarters. Mm -mm. (laughs) They'll DM you. Uh 
because they they like if you if you having if you're having traction, they'll they'll DM you to send an email, and that's that's how they make first contact. Mm. If you know if you're doing shows and stuff like that after they've made first contact, then they'll you know they'll come to your show and do all of that stuff. But typically, first contact. Email or DM or Twitter, DM, whatever. So if you're sitting at home and you're an um, up-and-coming artist or you feel like you're going to be an artist and you have your stuff online and you're like, damn, my shit is so good, but I just I need to figure out how to get in front of them. The reality is they already know about you. And if they haven't contacted you, they don't want you yet. Correct. Right? Because a lot of people are like, oh, like it's unfair because I, you know, I got to reach them. But you're saying that they they know about you. If you're trending a certain way, if you have a record moving on TikTok, or if you there's there's certain thresholds. Mm. If you if you blow through those thresholds, they know about you, man. And the higher the higher you are, the more the more interested parties you're gonna get. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So it's not it's reporting like there's analytics that is research reports that these ANRs get daily, weekly, monthly. That shows who's doing what. And they're watching you to see which direction you're heading. Correct. Almost like a stock. Yep. And then, it, you know, if the, if the a and R personally likes your music, they like the direction, they might be early. Mm. You know what I'm saying? But remember, with everything, like, A&R, if they, if they sign you and you bomb... You know, as an A&R, you, only, you can only bomb so many times before you're out of a job. Mm. So it's a risk for them too. So the the way they insulate themselves is by coming through with the numbers, like, hey, this guy's mm. this guy's worth doing X. And they they know like, all right, he's doing X. If we run him through our system, we can realistically extract X amount of dollars. They they know everything before you even walk in the <laughs> building, they know everything. Like, yeah. you know what I'm saying? So it's it's sophisticated, like, you know, they kind of know. You know what I'm saying? So how much is a artist lifestyle looked at when they make those decisions? Because some kids will put all their stuff online and maybe things that would be considered possibly controversial, um, possibly things that, you know, someone may judge as, oh, I don't really like that he does that versus how much they not care. Like how much are they looking to the social aspect of it other than just music? It's hard for me to answer that. Um, because I, I, I can't, I can't answer that in, abs, in absolutes, mm. right? I don't know exact, but it feels like it doesn't matter, right? Mm. I think if the music is is performing, and there are people out there that 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 are looking to consume that music, I think that's where the conversation starts. They don't really care as much about the other side of it, I mean, because there's the argument that if you were to go out and be more controversial, you get more views. You get more views, you get more downloads. You get more downloads, you get more eyes from the record labels. It almost incentivizes people to act a fool. Yeah, yeah. But at the same token, if the music is not good, it's not good. Of course. You still have to have good music. Everything starts and ends with the music. You know, you could be controversial, you could have all this engagement online, but if your music is not good and you put up a tour, nobody's gonna buy the ticket to come see you perform. Mm. You know what I'm saying? That's it has to the music has to translate at some point. And if it doesn't, then you know, it just you're just a 
you're just someone online that has a lot of engagement. Now that engagement you can you can parlay that into funds in other areas, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're gonna be a successful artist or musician. Hmm. All and, fame is not the same fame. Correct. And you know, it gives you a head a leg up if your music is actually good, but it doesn't guarantee you anything. So I want to transition into, I, I saw that you just came back from Ghana. Yep. And you were doing a lot of events there. Yep. What were you doing there? Number one, I guess, is the best way to start this. So in Ghana, right, um, during Christmas time, a lot of um, people from the diaspora, so you have African people that live all over the world, they flock back to, to Ghana or a lot of Ghanaian people, they flock back to Ghana for Christmas to just hang out. And um, it's become so, sort of a hot spot in Africa hmm. during that time. I, I would I would liken it to like a spring break in Miami okay. or, or Cancun. You know, everybody comes home and, you know, they just... From all over the world. They just have a good time. Um, and when you have that many people coming back home, you know, you start to attract business and commerce and stuff like that. So tourism during that time of the year is a big thing for that for the country. And um, it's still a developing country. So for me, you know, outside of just hanging out, it's about just making inroads and building a network there that I can leverage for business opportunities in the future. And that's pretty much all it's about. You know, it's a developing country, and you know, if you if you get in on the ground level, you know, you can you can leverage that to become very wealthy. How often do you go back? Um, I've gone back for the once a year for the past two years. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, I need to find time to go back, but. You know, right now my calendar is a little hectic, so I don't know when I'm going to be able to get back there. Have you thought about getting a place out there? I have. It's just, it's difficult because so it takes a day to get there, 12 hours, <laughs> however. There's no direct flight. There is. Okay. There's a direct flight from from here and I think from, from New York City. Um, the problem is, it's just, I don't spend enough time there to mm -hmm. warrant the expense and, you know, outside of the expense, you know, you have a house or you have a place, need people to kind of check on it and make sure things, you know what I mean? I just don't spend enough time there. That's something that I'm working through right now. It's almost like if you had a place, if you build it, they will come, right? right. <laughs> if you had a place there, maybe you'd spend there more often. Is that something you'd like to do? So, Like as, how much do you want to spend more time in Ghana? <sighs> I'll be honest with you, man. You know, we're both car guys, right? Mm -hmm. There's no car scene there. There is. Okay. There okay. is. But from what I've seen, the roads aren't good enough mm. right now for me to be able to, you know, that's my that's my um, escape, so to mm. speak. So, you know, until the roads get to a better place, it's going to be difficult for me to spend <laughs> an extended amount of time there because, you know, I have a high stress a gig and you know that's kind of where how I'm able to dissipate that stress if I can't do that I'd be miserable so that's that's the biggest 
that's the biggest reason why, you know. I've heard that they have some great roles, but I haven't seen them yet. Mm. So until I'm exposed to them and I can see if it fits what, I, what I'm looking for, you know, that's going to be really difficult for me to, to, to live there or spend extended amount of time. I mean, you could send like a, like a Wrangler and go right. off-roading and do stuff like Wrangler, that out there. Wagon, <laughs> uh-huh. whatever, you know. Yeah, that, that, that or Hummer, that, mm-hmm. that makes sense over there. But the type of cars I like to drive and the type of driving I like to do, yeah, not so, not there. Not there. Not it, right now. Is it dangerous? I mean, probably in the main city areas, it's not that bad. But how dangerous does it get in Ghana? Ghana is one of the safest countries in Africa. Really? Mm-hmm. And that's why everybody flocks there. Hmm. You have people from all over the continent that come to Ghana to just hang out. Like you know, when I was there, I was with a big Nigerian artist, a whiz kid, mm-hmm. just hanging out. He's just him and a cameraman. No security, anything. It's a really secure country. They don't have they don't have much nonsense going over there. Mm. So, what that, do you think that is? Why why are they kind of that way? Or what do you think attributes to safety in Ghana? I think I think the military and the police department, the government, they don't they don't tolerate mm. you know certain behaviors there. Um, so when you go there, you have to. You have to be on your best behavior. You're gonna find yourself in a in a world of trouble, and the people there just you know they're not into the extra like you know just just cool people. They're not mm-hmm. really they're just cool, you know. So that 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 culture of violence and you know crime, thank think like there is some crime. I don't want to say it's crime free, but everywhere in the world, yeah. But it's it's not. It's not. It's not a place where you can you'll go and feel like you need to look over your shoulder every day. That's that's crazy, isn't it? That we live in America, and the best country in the world. But if you're walking around the city, you have to kind of always look over your shoulder. Any yeah. main, any major city, um, you gotta be careful. Oh, maybe someone's gonna come snatch my watch. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, I got some people walking behind me. Maybe I should, you know. Be wary. Mm. And then you go to countries where are considered developing or not as developed, and you feel so much safer. Yeah. yeah I mean, part of that is because you don't know where you are. Mm. So, you you know, maybe the locals might not feel as, as safe, as secure <laughs> in certain places. Uh-huh. But um, I think, uh, again, like we, we mentioned earlier, America isn't perfect. Mm-hmm. But I take my chances here than than True. more so than I would in, in other places, even other developed countries. Like, you know, there's a lot of, you know, as a as a black guy, you know, I've been to Australia, I've been to London, I've been to certain parts of Asia. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd rather be here. Than U.S. is the best. So, yeah, because you know they they try to make it seem like U.S. is a really racist place to be, but if you traveled the world, it's the least racist <laughs> place. Because yeah, I see it too. If I'm in South America, everyone's calling me Chino, right? Everybody. It's just what they do. It, yep. it is what it is. And and they don't even mean it in a poor in way. In a poor way, yep. Yeah. Yep. It's just part of their vernacular. It's just they're not used to it. Yep. Um, certain parts of the world, they're not used to seeing a lot of black guys show up. Yep. So they may use certain words, but they don't necessarily mean it in a negative way. Yep. If anything, it's like, wow. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you know? yep, yep, yep. And then, you know, you have people who may have had a negative interaction mm-hmm. with someone, and then now they they associate that negative interaction with 
the whole race. Because mm-hmm. all they that's the only interaction they've ever had. Correct. Then you have to deal with that. But, you know, by and by, I think United States of America, man, it's uh, it's paradise yeah. compared to some other places. <laughs> so you're, I, I guess as a closing thought, you are getting ready, you told me, to go on tour now in Europe. Yep. Where are you guys going to Europe? So we're going to the UK. We're going to Manchester, Birmingham, England, London, England, Dublin, Ireland, Amsterdam, Netherlands, or Tilburg, Netherlands, Glasgow, England. I think that's it. We're doing are about you, seven, seven, eight shows. Are you guys taking a bus there too? So we'll fly there and then we'll definitely we'll have another bus around <laughs> another three weeks. Yep. Oh, yep, yep. Where are you most excited to go over there? Uh, London for sure. Mm. I think London. And their hip hop scene is pretty big. Yep. They have a really live hip hop scene in London, yep. from what I understand. Yep. London, um, London reminds me of New York City. Mm. It reminds me of Toronto, Canada. Like it just has that same vibe. And I think, uh, and we 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 got a we're doing a big arena there too. So. I think that show is gonna be special. I uh, can't wait. Are Are there any U- European artists that you guys link up with? Yeah, I was just texting with an artist. His name is Giggs. Him mm. and his manager. Shout to Giggs. Shout to Buck. And we were talking, and Giggs was telling me that he's coming to Miami during that time, so mm. we're gonna miss him. But um, Buck is gonna be there, and Buck is good friends with. Lambs and Idris and some of the UK actors and actresses mm. that are doing making inroads in America and some like Snowfall and The Wire and stuff like that. So um, I told him bring all bring everybody out. We're gonna have a good time. We're gonna celebrate. So looking forward to that. Awesome. Um, anything you want to plug before we kind of wrap this thing up? Ah, nothing, man. You're so low key, bro. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I like that, man. I think um, fame is, uh, I don't love fame, man. Really? I think. Uh, You'd rather artists be famous and you just, you like being in the background. Oh, man. It's, it's my safe space. It's mm. comfortable for me because I just want to move around freely, man. You know, you give up certain amount of, you give up some certain freedoms mm. when you're famous. You know, you're now, you're now public property <laughs> And you know, you know, Lord willing, if this podcast becomes a big deal, if you're in a supermarket and somebody wants to take a picture with you, you gotta take that picture. Man. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's uh, I'm gonna give him your number. <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 what you sign up for, right? Yeah. So you know, no matter how no matter how good or bad of a day you're having, right? So I just like anonymity, man. I like to be kind of moving the shadows. I know. From a branded perspective, it doesn't necessarily help what we're trying to do. Mm-hmm. But I find comfort in just being just a regular guy. So actually, I had a final thought then. So you said you're a very religious person. Yep. How much of that impacts how you live your life and how it, you go about your own business? Because being in hip-hop and being a very religious person, there's got to be a lot of times where you hit a crossroads where conflicts really. with each other you don't think so i think um i think if you walk with a certain you know uh i don't want to say righteousness but if you just 
by default try to do the right thing mm. and not try to take advantage of anyone, I think you're good. You know what I'm saying? If you know, I'm I'm a very I I I believe in fairness and treating people the way you want to be treated. So if I have to, if I have to like get rid of someone or if I have to scream on somebody for something, you know, for if there's a conflict, I know that I know in my mind I've done everything that I can to be positive about the situation. You left you left me no choice but to become, you know whatever negative version of myself I am in that moment, right? So uh, I think ultimately, you know, if you just try to do the right thing on a daily basis, you know, I don't think it conflicts at all. I think, you know, uh, the God of peace is also the God of war, Mm. right? So I think just in general, there's a time and place for everything. You know, you you obviously want to lead peacefully you want to lead the right way but if you if someone leaves you no choice then you know you just it is you gotta do what you gotta do yeah. do you guys it used to be a thing before concerts before basketball games before sporting events where the teams would get together and they would pray yep do you guys do that we don't is that we something don't. you wish you did i always i like I, i'm a very visual person i see it in my head that mm-hmm. we're gonna pray then when we get to the venue, it's so much going on, man. It's so much, it's so hectic. Mm. Like, like for instance, when we did the Barclays, right? Before that date happened, I, in my mind, I felt like I would grab everybody yeah. and say a prayer. <laughs> man, that didn't happen. This guy shows up like five minutes before he's supposed to go on stage. Mm. I got ticket requests. I got people trying mm. to get into the building. I'm trying to rush him to the stage. It was none of that, man. Mm. So it's just so hectic that, you know. Never in my mind, I would like to. Yeah, because because sometimes you reflect on old clips you've seen growing up, right? And they always start those concerts with a prayer, with kind of that everyone huddles together yep. and does this prayer. Yep, yep. And every time I think of like artists coming out, I feel like people used to do that more yep. than they do now. Yeah, yeah. I I always thought there was something so like honest about that moment, regardless of what you believe. Yep. Just kind of people connecting and taking that one quick second of meditation, almost. Man, I, you know I've. I've envisioned this in my head mm. multiple times, <laughs> but then every time we get to the show, it's never, it's never like that. It's yeah. so much chaos, so much going on that we never get a chance to. Well, I hope one day you'd be able to do it because I think yeah. it's cool. Yep. yep. <laughs> Thank you for coming out. Absolutely. I appreciate man. you, M. Thanks we'll for having leave me. We'll leave a way to contact him if you need anything on the uh, description. Yep. Otherwise, maybe we'll have you back on after Europe. Sounds good, man. Appreciate you, brother. All right, man. Awesome. Thank you, buddy. Thank you. That was fucking awesome, man. We went like 